The Youthscape Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Youthscape Podcast with me, Barney Saunders, and me, Rachel Gardner. <laughs> and it is one, two, three. Happy, Happy New Year! Year! Happy New Year! The time for celebration and those lovely lists. Wow, a time for celebration. Surely it's a time for feeling a bit sad. I don't know. I, what is the time? What is the time Christmas is the time Christmas for celebration. Christmas is the time for celebration. New Year is the time for renovation. Oh. Yes. Wow. It's where you realise all those mince pies have just saved your thighs and it's time to have a new outlook on life. I thought you were going to do the whole thing as a poem. <laughs> I don't know. I can't rhyme. It's been amazing. I can't rhyme very well. I've got two matchstick chocolates that I feel, I just, I feel like I'm conducting something. Like, let me tell you right now, this is... I've noticed that, um, yeah. well, I knew this for, uh, beforehand, but Amy's a thing yes. is bringing snacks. It's like her love language. Yes, our producer brings us snacks. Yeah. Sugary kind. So we've got, we've, got, we've, <laughs> we've got these little chocolate things. So I've eaten mine. Yours have gone immediately. So uh, welcome everyone who is tuning in for the first time ever because you just think what you need in your life is a podcast about youth ministry and, and what you're going to discover is you get a little bit of me and Martin. Only a little, little bit. A little bit of magic stardust Only a little. at the beginning, a little waffle. Magic stardust. A few stories that we kind of crank and shoehorn into some kind of broad topic yeah. and then we let you loose on the most extraordinary guest and, and today does not disappoint. Oh yeah, we got a proper extraordinary guest. We are guest. starting the year with an extraordinary guest and before we get to her, because she's not yet in the building, it's so exciting, Martin... How was your Christmas? How are you feeling about New Year? Well... 2020, baby. Uh, yes, I'm excited about 2020. Ooh, I'm, I'm excited to see how many Christian projects use the phrase, our 2020 vision, this year. That's the main thing I'm excited about, about the New Year. Well, last year, 2019. Oh, so last year. I was invited to speak at some... 2020 projects called 2020. Okay. And it took me a little while to tweak that because the next year is 2020. I was oh. like, oh, that's a good. Oh, that's good. You thought oh, it was. I like that. It's one year. It's one year above this one. Oh, love. Oh, I like that. Brilliant. It took me a little while. <laughs> yeah. So, as a futurologist, I think I nailed that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even understand don't what you're understand. saying. I don't either. So, New Year's resolutions, Rachel, this year? Probably to make more coherent sense. Okay, good. What were yours? Well, last year I completely failed. Do you remember I had you a big... You write I... a book and you wrote a book and you bossed it. No, I... wasn't I also going to write a screenplay last year, though? Yeah, but let's celebrate what you did do. Well, that's not the point of New Year's resolutions. <laughs> you can't move the goalposts afterwards. <laughs> I'm always the encourager. I could now say I plan to put on about a stone in weight. Yeah. Nailed it. Oh, <laughs> well, there we go. I always think if you write a to-do list and you get to about lunchtime and you haven't ticked many off... You are then fully at liberty to add a few you've just done. And <laughs> so I ring my team and say to them, you can now put chat to Rachel, tick that off. Wow. Go into the toilet, tick that off. Tired with someone else's papers and just tick that off. And then yeah. suddenly the to-do list looks manageable. Great. Fantastic. Did you, did you make any to-do, uh, any, no. any, do any know, do New know, Year's resolutions? Actually, last genuinely, year? I don't think I have ever made a, a serious resolution. Right. I kind of joke around about some things, but I... I don't know what it, what's, wrong, what's wrong with me, Martin, but I genuinely don't. We haven't got long enough. No, we haven't got long enough. I don't, I don't know why I don't, because you do, you're quite religious about this. Well, I like making... You're I like, legalistic. I'm not legalistic. I'm not legalistic. <laughs> I like to make, like, a list of goals at the start of a year. Yeah, but look, you get so depressed about the fact you didn't make them. I don't know what... Well, I don't know, because I didn't, you know, there was one I didn't really touch. Okay. But there were other things I did. Okay. I, um... Um... I, um Whose our guest today? Let's move on. <laughs> so, 
fantastic guests. And on the podcast here, we like to bring to you uh, voices from within the tribe, those who are in the trenches doing youth work. And we've got some great guests this year lined up, peppering you with all sorts of fantastic voices. But at the beginning of the year, we wanted to bring you a very different voice. So Dr. Ellie Gardner, she's not related to me, but she I do want her to be my best friend, basically. She's just amazing. She's founded a charity called Kids, Kids Matter, which is all about supporting the most um, vulnerable families um, in the most vulnerable communities. So it's not out and out youth work, Martin. It's not somebody who speaks about youth ministry and youth work. In fact, when I asked her, she was like, oh, youth work, that's not really my thing. What I love about her is that she has such a passion to see the most vulnerable families thrive. Mm. Mm. And actually, youth ministry, if we kind of cut it off from the roots of family, mm. and if we don't see the patterns in childhood that then we're dealing with in adolescence, then really we're kind of blinding ourselves and we're not really supporting young people in the way that we could. And she does this as a Christian, she's a professional, she's a psychologist, psychiatrist, I'm sorry I get all those sides wrong, um, she'll tell us who she is. But I think this is going to be a really brilliant one at the beginning of this year, if you're listening to it on the 1st of January, to reframe and, and reimagine what your youth ministry can look like when you just occasionally listen to voices outside of the tribe. So I think it's going to be brilliant. So our guest today, after that big uh, build-up from Rachel, is Dr. Ellie Gardner. Welcome to the Youthscape podcast. Thank Hello, Ellie. Thank you so much. So good to be here. And uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce us to uh, you and the organisation that you um, lead. Yeah, great. So as uh, I think you've said in your intro, I hear you've used every title on yeah, the sun. Yeah, every title. Every title on the sun. My background is I am a clinical child psychologist, so I've always worked with children and families, probably... Oh, it's quite a long career now, I guess. Nearly 30 years, uh, mainly in paediatrics, but also in child and adolescent mental health. And my passion has always been working with more deprived families. So I think I did a year of private practice and saw kind of mums like me, and I thought, oh, no, 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 definitely not. So I really, really um, feel very passionately about the need to reach children through the whole family, and particularly through their parents. So about four years ago now, I set up Kids Matter, which is a charity that aims to reach disadvantaged families by working specifically with the parents. So we don't actually see the children, but what we, who we want to reach are the zero to tens of parents who are struggling in poverty because mm -hmm. poverty is the, probably the biggest stressor um, that is so pervasive across the country, four million children living in poverty. So yeah, Kids Matter set up to reach them, the hundreds of thousands of kids that wouldn't otherwise be reached. And, and just give us a little idea of the sort of work that you do. So how does it, how does it look day to day? Well, we work exclusively through the local church. So we don't actually deliver the programs ourselves. So the model is we approach churches that want to work with disadvantaged communities, which in my view, should be every church, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, but certainly those churches that feel that they want to access the private families around them. We train them up, we vet them, we train them up, they come on our four-day, really fun, interactive training program, and then actually we help them recruit and we follow them up all the way through. Mm -hmm. So although we're not delivering the program ourselves, we keep a pretty close eye on what goes on, we visit the groups and we... We deliver pretty much supervision and support to each and every one of our facilitators. So what it looks like from their end is that they will go out and they will recruit families, parents, so hopefully some dads, it's predominantly mums, but hopefully some dads in the community 
around them. And we, we're very clear, this is not a program for inside church. This is close the door behind you and go find those parents. And if you don't know them, but you want to know them, then link with other people in the community that do know them. So that could be your nursery school teacher, your primary school teacher, GPs. We're getting more social prescribing referrals now. And find somebody that can say, Naomi, you must come to this group. Once the group is has been agreed to be running, then it'll be four to eight parents sitting with a trained facilitator, and they're all parents. So our facilitators are mainly all parents and a group helper. And that group helper doesn't have to be a parent, but hopefully someone that can kind of help serve tea and coffee and welcome people. Mm -hmm. And then they sit, the model is very much to sit around what it should look like your kitchen, you know, mm -hmm. around a nice table, tablecloth, flowers, pastries, fruit, or if you're working with dads, you know, bacon mm -hmm. butties, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Basically, it needs to be an inviting space. So no flip charts, no expert videos, no labels, and no one standing in front of them. And we all sit together. And all the booklets are the same. And the parent, the facilitators are trained to, yes, feed in the material that we want the parents to walk away with, but also share their own experiences. And I'd say that's the kind of secret sauce, mm. apart from the Holy Spirit being in the room, Absolutely. Um, because we wouldn't do anything without it. Yeah. But the fact that those facilitators are saying, I found this really hard and then I did this and gosh, have you ever tried that? Mm. Oh, that's such a great idea. So it's peer learning. Mm. And the facilitator has this tricky job of, uh, doing the peer learning and participating, but also feeding in the stuff. Mm. Oh, well, have, let's have a look here on page four. It, you know, the research seems to say that if you watch three hours of television, you drop two GCSE grades. What do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a kind of blend of um, learning, but also community. Mm. Because essentially, what is amazing about planting this program in the church is that and if it's in a good church, when the program is finished, they're then able mm, to be invited onto yes, other things yeah. and you know, the and the support goes on. So mm. those values get to be reinforced. That's amazing. Yeah. And when I am just listening to you now and saying you're saying no expert videos, no flip charts. I mean that yeah. that sounds like youth ministry. Like we we've learned the hard way, many of us, that um, how much wisdom you want to bring to young yeah. people it is collaborative learning yes. or it's no learning at all. Exactly. So without wanting to other um, deprived parents as if they're a separate group to us yeah. in anothering way I think we want, we want to hear from your learning what, what, why is it that you've adopted that approach what is it about working because we're going to make the links now within, within youth ministry what, what yeah. is it about working with deprived families in really forgotten communities that means the expert video the professional the, all that stuff really that, that strategy is culture for breakfast why, why have you chosen your method yeah well, I think it came from a combination of experiential learning and and what the research says. Because around the time that I started Kids Matter, I was doing a doctorate evaluating Nikki and Silili's parent and children course with a view to seeing how it could run mm -hmm. in a more deprived setting. And uh, the research very clearly shows that there are certain barriers for families who are living in disadvantage who've got a naturally higher level of suspicion, a naturally higher level of mistrust. They're more isolated, they're less used to being mm. in kind of more formal settings. So if you go somewhere and there's someone with a lanyard and there's, a, there's an expert at the front and they're sitting with a great big book on their laps looking up at a video or at a person that maybe with English not being their first language, it's not, it's not appealing, they don't relate to the person that's running it, and that person may change week on week. Mm. They don't relate to the style, because education was probably either not a very pleasant mm. experience, if at all. 
And so you're just setting up more barriers. And when we set ourselves up as we're the experts, so you two can be a parent like me and, and my beautiful three children, you're basically saying, you're not very good, and mm. I'm, I am, so I'm going to teach you. Mm. And I mean, I don't think that's even particularly common just to deprive you. I don't think any mm. of us no, really no, like <laughs> learning like that. But those of us that are used to education and used to being in a work context, you understand that this is a quick way for people to impart knowledge to. So you, you absorb it and you don't take that one down position particularly. But I think when your self-esteem is already pretty low, when you're already struggling with depression and anxiety, to then go into that very formal setting is really intimidating. Mm. And why do we want to, to put people through that? Mm. But I said experiential as well, because when I started this charity with Marika Osmond, who's my co-founder, and uh, I initially just wanted to see, I heard she was running Nikki and Silla Lee's program, but on a housing estate. So I thought, well, that's exactly what I would like to do. So let me see how she does it. Well, we walked into the room and it was set up with two chairs and a flip chart for she and I, and then the semicircle. And I thought, yeah, that's that's right. Now, where's my lanyard? Because mm. you know, if I was a psychologist yes. presenting training, that's yeah. what it would look like. And she walked in, because she's not a psychologist. She's just a wonderful person. She walks in and goes, no, oh, this, this is horrible. And she tosses out the flip chart and brings in a table, throws a tablecloth, big teapot, drags in a potted plant from somewhere, and puts all the booklets around in the circle with tea and coffee and all the food. And I was initially horrified. I was like, I don't understand. How are they going to know that we are here to help them? <laughs> we're the experts. We're the yeah. experts. They're like, we look as if we're one. She's looking at me like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and of course, within minutes of the group running like that, then she starts talking about her own child. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we never do that as a psychologist. Mm. And of course, her sharing her story, other people start sharing theirs. So mm. I start sharing my story. I mean, and within minutes, I'm like, oh, okay. Mm. So the research shows these are the barriers and this is how you overcome it. Mm. So we, I've never done it any other way since. Wow. So you've been, a uh, charity's been going four years. Um, and so you've been working like this for, or you've been training people to work like this for four years. So well, two and a half of training. The first year and a half was just figuring it out. <laughs> so what, what are the sort of stories so far that give you hope that this is, this is good, this working. works? Yeah. I think what's, we, we collect all kinds of evidence in all kinds of ways, but there's nothing that beats the story. And I just love running the groups myself, actually, so that I can see for myself. Mm. I think what we see again and again and again, and, and it's backed up with our more formal research, is you see parents' confidence go up and you mm. see just their level of, yeah, I can do this. Mm. And it's not just dealing with this child or that child. So we don't target families based on whether their child is having a problem. We want, you know, Hodden to be able to manage all five of her children, not just one. So um, I mentioned Hodden, but she she's on our video. She's this wonderful woman with five children she's i think she's been on kids matter four times twice as a as a as a punter and then twice as a group helper and just her level of confidence she said you know i learned no means no so she just sort of got her five kids under control and her husband i have to say and just her level of um competence went up with it because once she felt she could do stuff you know that she had learned a few skills well then she applied it to lots of other things and came back as a helper with a whole army of ladies from Somalia and all their stories. So we see again and again this kind of, okay, I have value. Okay, I have something to offer. And that comes from the fact that we do peer learning, that we say, what do you think? You know, what do you think? Rather than, I'll tell you the truth and then you will absorb it. So this is a completely different way of doing it. So 
What's also lovely is to see them come into different parts of the church, and that's not everybody. Mm-hmm. But um, there was a we one of our facilitators. She was the very first person we trained. She's on her upteenth group, and she's now got the grandchildren of one of her original parents that came to the very first pilot group five years ago when we were just trying to figure it out around um, around the cafe and HTB, and just sh- the fact that she's come back. She's now a trained community parent facilitator herself she's brought her daughter-in-law and the grandkids and has been helping fuzz with her groups just seeing that growth Mm. because the end of the program we're saying to them okay what's next for you how can you give back Mm. what can you do we're sort of promoting them to be generous and to keep and to keep going in their learning not just in parenting there's so many parallels there with Mm. how we operate in terms of youth ministry just empowering young people to raise their voices to be peer leaders do that so I guess there's many of us listening thinking well I work with a young person I tend to work in isolation with them they might come to a project at the church I might see them in school I know there's a family behind them there's a few younger siblings a few older siblings maybe dad's in prison maybe dad's in a different country mum maybe doesn't speak English and I guess I just want to hear some insights from you of what what is it that you've learned about the, the lives of of these families that I think would be really helpful insight for us who are possibly working in isolation but could be thinking a bit more broadly about the whole family. What are they facing? I think one of the narratives that's becoming more popular now is the whole understanding of ACEs. Have you guys come across this in your work? So adverse childhood experiences. And I think when you are working with your young person in isolation, remembering, as you said, what could be behind them, but also what's kind of inside mm. them. So what might they be going through right now? Are they living in poverty? Uh, is there a dad in prison? Are there mental health problems at home? Are they having to look after a younger sibling? All of those things are gonna impact, not just sort of the way they sort of seem, but also the way they remember things, the way they turn up or don't turn up. It's sort of having compassion for understanding when a young person, you know, fails to show up or doesn't mm. text or arrives half an hour late or an hour late. Mm. It's understanding that those whatever might be going on for them at home is affecting their memory, is affecting their um, attention, is affecting their feeling of being threatened. So always sort of approach each person understanding they probably are, their brain would be adapted to whatever's going on at home, which might not suit your super positive, mm. wonderful, bouncy activity that you have planned for them. And for one or two people, that actually might be really difficult and stressful. So I think it's understanding that um, a lot of the families that we see, even if it's kind of low level, you know, there's, there's depression, there's anxiety. Most of the families we see, the mothers are single and the fathers are are around somewhere not usually perceived positively so that young person's likely to have seen quite a lot of conflict between adults not necessarily even between biological parents but whoever the other carer is that that mum is usually quite stressed out she's Mm -hmm. trying to juggle probably several children with possibly more than one father there might be a maternal grandmother who's also because she would have probably grown Mm. up also in a single parent household so you're looking at kind of multi-generational separation conflict um Mm. some of the parents we see have got a a partner that's in prison and that has a whole and we do see we do we run kids matter in prison as well so having a having a parent in prison 
I think is an enormous burden on a young person. I think that is largely completely invisible and un- mm. unspoken mm. of. Mm. You know, if, if a prisoner behaves badly, their, their punishment is to not see their family. Well, it's that child or young yeah. person that really suffers. Yeah. And actually working with the dads in prison, a lot of them don't even tell their children where they are. Yeah. So, you know, not even knowing where your father is or thinking he doesn't get in touch yeah. with you because yeah. he doesn't want to rather yeah. than he actually can't. So I think you're looking at, at a bare minimum, an atmosphere where there's mm. some mental health problems all the way through to things that are quite, quite mm. serious. But I suspect a lot of the kids that you see are probably in that mm. more amber zone rather than the, the yes. red, red zone, because it's the ones that are really in trouble are really difficult to reach, but it is wonderful if you are reaching well, I suppose that's, that's a question for you, really, because I guess the majority of us listening, me included, we're not clinical psychologists. We, uh, we work with any young person that comes our way, but increasingly, because of what we're seeing in, in cultural society, schools and other professionals are crying out for those who will work with young people in the Amazon. Yeah. But often as a youth worker, you feel, oh my goodness, this is way out of my yeah. kind of, not, this, not simply comfort zone, but just, I don't want to get this wrong, mm. but I know mm. there's something going on mm. here. Um, I'm picking up that, that whatever we're doing here is not working for this young person. We're not quite sure mm. why that is. What are, what are some of the, the ways that we can operate that keep young people safe emotionally? Because that's what we're talking about, isn't mm. it? An emotional safety to to be themselves, to kind of reconnect what's been disconnected. Yeah. What could be some of those tools that we could adopt? Well, I think you're, I would sort of say you're, you're not clinical psychologists and nor should you be, but mm. it is so wonderful that any of these young people are encountering the kind of youth workers mm. that I imagine mm. you guys are and, and employ. So just having, I mean, actually the research will say having a interested person Mm. you know one interested person someone who is consistent someone who is caring goes a long way to actually compensating for some of these aces that they might be experiencing Mm. so rest assured that anything you do Mm. that is consistent and loving and caring and has the best intention as i'm sure they do Mm. is already enough Mm. and then in terms of tools i think matching sort of look at the person in front of you don't be bounding and positive and mm. over the top energetic if actually you're picking up this is quite this is quite a big deal for this person mm. to come to this room mm. anyway just kind of try to read them a bit and mm. check in with them how how is this how you know I, I guess i would say don't be afraid to just sort of ask mm. and if you're picking up that there are some very serious things like self-harm or um suicidal ideation or anything also don't be afraid to ask do you feel suicidal that question doesn't get asked enough and can be an enormous relief to young people that are thinking about it. It doesn't make them think about it. It actually is a relief to talk about it. And if they really are planning it, they will probably say. Mm. So that's when you need to trigger your, I'm sure mm. you have your safeguarding. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but that's helpful to hear that, because I think yeah. even though we have our safeguarding and we, we were poised for that, yes. hearing somebody of your calibre say, actually asking that question, you know, our head instantly goes, no, we can't, I can't ask that because it yeah. sounds like I'm yeah. asking a person, yeah. have you had sex? Like it's, it's one of those leading questions that feels like yeah. it doesn't go anywhere good. Yeah. But actually hearing yeah. you say no again, just shining a light on something that young people feel trapped by. Yeah. Wow, that's quite, mm. that's, I mean, yeah. how, what's your reflection on that? Uh, ju- well, I mean, I was, I was a little struck by that because yes. I thought, oh gosh, that sounds like I trust your credentials, but also that sounds to me like that would be, that could be triggering for a young person. Mm. But you're saying it doesn't actually cause the no, young person I mean, to think you, about. I, you, I'm assuming you're asking that question if you're in a pretty good relationship yeah. with that person and that young person has said, 
that they yes. feel terrible, yes. that they're very low, that they're then to ask them that in order for you to know exactly where they're at does not trigger them. That's not that mm. that is not what the research would say. I mean, it would be weird if you were to sort mm. of how are you? Are you feeling suicidal? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying that. Can't I'm saying that. when yeah. you <laughs> when you don't know what to do, you don't know how where to take this. Yes. Yeah. Actually, asking that question yes. will will. There's a little nugget, there's a little that helpful is, nugget is there. Powerful. So there's, there is a big conversation going on in the youth work world at the moment, um, which it's okay that you don't know about this conversation because we are a weird and small <laughs> uh, Very strange in bunch. Um, but uh, there's a conversation about families mm. and how important um, a, a focus we should have on, on, on families, how big a focus we should have on families, as it's opposed to just working faith, directly it? with young people. Yeah, so okay. it is, it is about okay. coming to faith, but it's also just our pastoral care of young people. So um, I think there would be a traditional view that you just, you focus on the young person in front of you and you don't worry too much about who's at home. Um, there's a, a different view which says you get two hours a week of contact <laughs> with young people, whereas parents, might get 20 or 25 mm. contact hours with young people. So so what, what would you throw into that debate from your very different perspective? You're not coming from a youth ministry perspective, but, but what would you throw into the question of like, how much should we be thinking about parents when we look at a young person? I think if you have the opportunity, I mean, do you actually, do the parents show up to these things? Do they accompany them and then sort of hang around waiting might for them? Might drop them off, or yeah. it really depends on the context. Or, yeah, or it might be that actually you've got to report something. It's the first time you have any conversation mm. with a parent is when something horrendous has happened and you're like, yeah. oh goodness, I don't know what I'm wading into. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm so biased because I'm all about the parents. So I would say, what a missed opportunity if you don't provide and, you know, at the same time, even if it's just a drop-in coffee, you know, with really nice pastries and tea and coffee for other parents to meet each other, to at least mm. build a little community for their, for them to see mm. what does it look like to see a healthy, warm, kind adult there. Um, I used to work at um, Kids Company, and the, mm. that was for young teenagers, and that's what, and we ran Kids Matter for well, the early version of Kids Matter for the parents, and it, the child, the youth key workers were just saying what an impact it made on their work once the parents started their work so to me mm. the answer is naturally you'd want to work with the parents as well but I know you know we can only all do what we mm. can do and it's not everybody's cup of tea but, but to do mindset. something yes. alongside and it's, it sounds like more of a mindset shift as opposed to as you say you've got to have x number of strategies yeah. it's like actually we are not thinking there is a parent mm. and now myself being mm. a parent with a child or two children that might ha present some issues because of their only their own early trauma i would want to be really involved i'd yeah. want there to be a sense in which they would yeah. see me as an ally at best even if they yeah. have to do intervention work yeah. without me that's so it's so so powerful um, if people want to find out a bit more about the course, because they're, they're thinking actually this Ellie is really summing up the community that we're working with, and we've been looking for something like this for a while. Is it mm. is it a course that anyone can come to you and train, or is it just based in London? No, we are in fifty churches between Norwich and Cornwall, and on the website there's all the information about how to find out about partnering with us. So I love that. I've never heard that as a sort of unit of measurement before. What? Norwich to Cornwall. That's a strange <laughs> kind of way of the, the yeah, famous sure thing. the famous Norwich to Cornwall ramble. <laughs> it like you do it quite a bit as well. Like you Have you ever driven from Norwich to Cornwall? <laughs> no, we're talking about doing a uh, 
some kind of walk or bike ride or something. Norwich you should. You, now you've got to do it yeah, for Norwich to Cornwall. Okay, you heard it on here first. <laughs> but that's so just just to finally dig into that a little bit. So if if someone's listening to this and they have that little reaction, mm. it's like I often find this bit of yes. the interview a bit like leading a ministry time. Uh, if you feel your pulse quickening yeah, at this point, um, why don't you stand where you are? Yes, I am. <laughs> if you are standing where you are, um, you know, what would it look like for someone? To, what kind of commitment would they be looking at if they yeah. were to say, yeah, I want to do this in my church? Yeah, so we are, as much as we love our facilitators and love a passionate person standing now in their living room saying, I definitely want to do this, Mm -hmm. actually we partner with the church. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is we want to reach the parents. So Mm -hmm. facilitators are wonderful, but sometimes they move on to other things and we want that community to continue to receive its support. So if it's a facilitator listening to this, I'd say go talk to your church leader, mm. have a look at your have a look at your community. Are you already working with this demographic or is it completely stony, hard, cold ground? And if that's the case, and there's no shame in that, it's a lot, you know, unfortunately a lot of churches, a lot of us are not, I'm not in a church that's anywhere near a deprived area. So in that case you have to start with okay can we can we do some events can we mm. can we find how can we get onto that estate mm. can, can we link who do we need to get to know in our community before we can yeah. have any kind of credibility mm. on an estate if you are already in an estate or working already with deprived families then it's very easy you just go on our website pidsmatter.org.uk and there's a button there to press to get more information about how to reach us and then we will call you back and start the conversation with you and your church Mm -hmm. to make sure it's the right thing for you and it's the right thing for your church. In terms of what we're looking for in a facilitator, we want someone who ideally is a parent. If they're not a parent and may never be a parent, that's also okay if they've got, for example, Mm -hmm. tons of experience of working with children and young people. The reason we want you to be a parent or or very experienced child worker is because we want you to share of your mistakes. Mm. It's as simple as that. It's mm. not because of your expert knowledge. Actually, it's because of your expert knowledge of failing. I might be excellent at this. <laughs> <laughs> this is me oh, describing yes. me. <laughs> so that's why we want yeah. that in the room. And you want to be somebody that's quite used to running small groups of you know one description or another. So there's no no ex- no former expertise needed in terms of parenting just a willingness to have compassion, to love on people mm. that can be quite hard to love on mm. and, uh, and to share of your own stories mm. and your own mistakes and have the support of your church. And I guess there might be many youth workers listening who the other way in is the mums and toddlers group mm. where one or two of your teenage girls have had babies young. Yeah. And I found with the church, the last church I was part of, when I became a mum, very old age 35 36 um and some of the girls i was working with were becoming mums at the same time and we rocked up to the mums and toddlers together i suddenly went oh this is new, this is youth work in a whole new beautiful yeah. way yeah because mm. actually i walked in going i've adopted my kids so the whole yeah. breastfeeding conversation is completely irrelevant mm. to me and the girls were gonna be like what what i'm saying in the adult world i can't cope so, so all of us yeah. were banded together because actually it felt alien to all yeah. of us so i think there might be some youth workers that Actually, there might be some young people that you've worked with who are new parents and maybe fit this demographic and you want, because you love them, you want to extend yes. your care of them. And this could be a brilliant way yes. for the church to keep loving younger people as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so brilliant. That group was okay for you, wasn't it? Because you and the teenage moms were both dressed the same. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I just said, time with my daughters and our daughters. Yeah. Ellie, so, uh, yeah. 
You're wonderful and amazing. You Thank you for everything you're doing. So you She's wearing, I don't know, you, Ellie is wearing the most extraordinary necklace. I did think when you walked in, oh, that'll be making a lot of noise. Didn't make any noise at all. It's I was prepared to take it off. You were very still. It does You didn't move at all. No, I'm trying not to. I drown you out with my necklace. Um, you've now got to go and have you got to go and charge your car? I've got to go and charge my you've car. Got, like a proper very, electric, very environmentally friendly car. Eco friendly, yep. As I'm alternately swearing and praying on my way home, <laughs> looking for this charging station, thinking well, me. Uh, I hope that goes well. Thank uh, you. Thank you so much for coming it's on the pleasure. Podcast. It's a Pleasure. So, uh, Dr. Ellie Gardner has now left the studio. I'm still sat ridiculously close to you in this massive room. Why have I got to sit like this? It's because we're being filmed. Oh, I see. We're doing some vodcasts. We are doing some vodcasts. Are you all right? So, Dr. That Ellie Gardner has great. left that the room. That was so helpful, wasn't it? You slightly love her, don't you? Oh, I do. I, I just like women who inspire me and are, are slaying in their lane. I mean, I said to Ellie before we started, just slay in your lane, honey, which I think just felt like quite a patronising to say. But I think... She liked it. She'd never she heard it like before. Him, she'd if like If you that. listen to You Escape the Podcast, <laughs> bring, you will have heard of it I before. bring that out all the time. But I think just watching somebody ra- radiant in the role that God's called them at and knowing that it's a hard-won thing. She didn't tell us anything about her story, but I know a little bit about her own struggles that brought her there. There's mm. such authenticity in mm. her. I, I do, I do, I love people that are. It's also really a really helpful reminder that they need to listen to wisdom outside the youth ministry bubble sometimes because there are people who have great wisdom, particularly professionals Mm. uh, like Ellie. Who, who can actually give us some really helpful uh, little... There was a little moment, wasn't there? Was there was for both of us. Where we went, oh. What? Hang on, we what? are allowed to ask what? young people that. Yeah. Because I think we have such a safety narrative, which is not to say you shouldn't have a safety narrative, but I find sometimes, I don't know if you find this, that my safety narrative rises to the surface so much that the common sense that says, this hurting young person I know really well, I know them, and I actually just want to ask them, are you having suicide thoughts? Mm. Feels doesn't fit in my safety narrative no, no. because I think it, I wouldn't be able to answer that away to my safeguarding lead. But actually, when you reframe it and say, you know this person really well, mm. you are working within strong parameters and you're mm. also giving this young person an opportunity to ask for the help they need. Yeah. Suddenly when it's reframed, and she was quite strong with us, like yeah. she was quite common sense. Like, no, yeah. if it's this and this and this, it's okay. We both went, oh, didn't mm, we? Mm. I felt it. We were schooled. She, she was essentially saying if there's an elephant in the room, name it's okay it. to name it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, dear. What do you want to name? Have you, I got lipstick on No, me? but I am. What I'm thinking is, why are you so uncomfortable with being this close to me? I don't know. Are you worried about what I had for lunch? Are you... Are, it's it, just... When, you, when you're talking to somebody, like, and you're so close, there's, like, it's a natural amount. Do you not like eye contact? I, no, I love it. I'm Do really, you? No, I... Listen, I am the queen bee of extrovertism and breaking every sort of physical boundary. Okay, we're not going to do that. No. <laughs> Carry on. I don't know what it is. I don't know you've triggered something in me. I don't what know I love is. finding out is that there are these kind of secret weirdnesses of Rachel Gardner. I feel that they're and I, I get to like pull them out of you uh, and find out like the strange things that no one knows. I, I and here's know. another thing, you've got a proximity issue. 
I don't I like being this close. Proximity issue. I don't. Yeah, I must do. Maybe it's partly as a woman, I've been trained to self-objectify, and so when I look in the mirror, I look to see all the hairs I need to pull out, the spots I need to clip. You know. Oh. So suddenly having someone quite close, I'm thinking, are they doing to my face what I do to my face? Oh. Like what are they doing to my face right now? Are you doing that to my face? Absolutely. What? From a, from a mile away, I'm doing that to your face. There we go, wow. glasses off. So we had we had a great podcast. I felt so confident before that. It was going so well. And we had probably won some new listeners and they've now left us. So from two pot plants, a very wounded and hurt colleague and I, we're going to end by giving you some good stuff. Yeah, we're going to tell you about something brilliant. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so this is a new resource that Yuske produced uh, called The Game Plan. It's very good. And uh, it says on the front, it is an essential youth work planner. It's a little play on words because it's been developed by the team behind Youthscape Essentials, which is a new training course, which we're going to be telling you more about through 2020. But this is a organiser, a planner that you can order right now uh, from the Youthscape store, youthscape.co.uk slash store. Uh, Let me tell you what's inside. It's ring bound. It is ring bound. It's ring bound. Isn't ring bound where you've got the, um, it clicks open. Oh, oh, so what's this? This is spiral bound. Spiral bound. Rachel, know you're binding. Thank you. (laughs) So, um, so then there's a, there's basically a month to view section Mm. where you can like make plans for your months. Uh, as a youth worker and then there's week to view pages all the way through it where you can make plans week by week as a youth worker or a youth leader and uh, that allows you to like make some notes of what's going on but also young people you're praying for it's a place to sort of uh, make notes on how you reflected on how last week went and what's ahead and then there's loads of other stuff in there that is either inspiration which we'll get into in a second or um, there's kind of vision, uh, vision mm. and strategy exercises. There's little sections just to make sure that you're hitting all the key themes that young people want to talk about mm-hmm. in your youth work program. And then there's these little bits of inspiration all the way through. Um, we, we did this kind of um, not knowing what we get back. So we, mm. we sent out a, a speculative email to a bunch of our friends in youth ministry and said, hey, if you had a page of a planner like this to encourage a youth leader, um, what would you say to them? So they all wrote these little open uh, letters which start with, dear youth leader, here's what I'd like you to hear this week. And so what happens is, as you get to whatever week in the planner you've got to, uh, each week you might then find you've got an open letter to read that week. And some of the people who've written in this are absolutely amazing. So there's a mix of people who you'll have heard of, who've written books and stood on platforms. There's a mix of people who are, uh, are doing youth work week in, week out church leaders, Americans, British people. Uh, there may even be an Australian in here somewhere. Um, my my favourite, there's a whole bunch of people, but there's a, there's a reflection here from uh, Tim Vine. Oh, is And it's there? really sweet. It's really good. It's really sweet. Oh. I'd read it to you, but then that would... Oh, there it is. But that would... Um, oh. That would that would kind of waste the whole I know, point of was, buying it. Yeah. Oh, that's but awesome. But here's the really key thing okay. for, for people who are planner... You know, there are some people for whom yes. hearing about this is like, oh my it's, goodness... This is fodder. This, this is, is social the media fodder. Most exciting thing yes. I've ever heard in my life. Yes. Um, the whole thing is undated. So uh, just because it's gone past the first of January, yes. uh, doesn't mean you can't start this. You could start this in February if you want to, or you could start it in January, whatever you like. Uh, basically, you write your own months in, you write your own week dates in, yes. uh, and, you, and you're away. And it's a way of you keeping track of what's going on in your program and how your vision is progressing through the year. 
I think there's many of us who probably do a lot of what we do without line management. This is a great tool to help you in that space. I think there might be a number of us here who have others working alongside us. We could use this collectively oh, yeah. with our gap year students, with yeah. our volunteers. It's a really versatile tool. And I know I joked about ring binding, whatever it's called. What's this called? Spiral, Spiral binding. binding. But um, it's because I think it is a hard copy and I'm a little bit ancient and I do like things in my hands. I like to hold it in my hands. And I think there's something about having something that you carry around with you. Because so much of what we do as youth workers kind of the fruit's going to be in the future it's all open-ended it's not for you there's a lot that we do that's out there in the ether don't you think yeah actually having something in your hands going oh actually i've i've done three quarters of this or two thirds look what i've written and look what i've reflected on mm. it's really helpful i think in, in giving you confidence in your role um so brilliant yes grab hold of a copy you can get a copy if you give us some money we'll send it to you Yes. And you need the, the exchange happens on the World Wide Web at this address <laughs> www.youthscape.co.uk forward slash store yeah. squiggly line. There's no squiggly no, line. No squiggly that line. That's perfect. Forward slash store. It's £12. Pounds. That's the other thing we should tell pounds. you. You leader, you're busy, your work is complicated, you barely get a moment to stop and think. So get this. Shout outs, people. Stand back from the uh, screens because we're about to shout out our shout outs. So the first one goes to Beth Hogsworth, studying at St. Melitis to be a youth worker. You are awesome. This goes to you. And Sam and Helen Baker in Wallingham. Fantastic. Uh, podcast super fans. That's what I've labelled them. Hello. Big shout fans. out to you. We'll be back with another Youthscape podcast very soon. Goodbye. The Youthscape podcast is free and it always will be free, but you can support us by going to patreon.com forward slash youthscape.